Tonight I'm going to be reading from the book of Revelation, not what you were expecting, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm going to explain why when we get into the message, but uh, um, we're going to be reading from Revelation 19. Now, the book of Revelation, that last book of our Bible, the one that um, we are all fearful of and wonder why in the world it's in there because we don't understand what it says and don't understand what's going on. Let me just offer this uh, um, glimpse into what's happening. Um, So John... uh, the apostle, we think, though it's not clear which John this is, but John um, has been um, taken uh, spiritually into heaven in, in, in this vision that he's given. He's revealed to him what's going on in heaven, therefore revelation. And in this revelation, John has spoken with Jesus and he's spoken with angels and and they've told him what to say and what to write. And he records this experience for us. And so this is uh, um, chapter 19 and uh, beginning at verse one and I'm going to go through verse 10. After this, I heard what sounded like a huge crowd in heaven. They said, hallelujah, the salvation and glory and power of our God. His judgments are true and just because he judged the great prostitute who ruined the earth by her whoring and he exacted the penalty for the blood of his servants from her hand. Then they said a second time, hallelujah, smoke goes up from her forever and always. The 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne. And they said, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice went out from the throne and said, praise our God, all you his servants and you who fear him, both small and great. And I heard something like that sounded like a huge crowd, like rushing water and powerful thunder. They said, hallelujah, the Lord, our God, the almighty exercised his royal power. Let us rejoice and celebrate and give him the glory for the wedding day of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She was given fine, pure white linen to wear for the fine linen is the saints acts of justice. Then the angel said to me, write this, favored are those who have been invited to the wedding banquet of the lamb. He said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, don't do that. I'm a servant just like you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the witness of Jesus. Worship God. The witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Not what you were expecting to hear, right? Dave broke all traditions because on this day, we're supposed to hear one of the stories of the baby in the manger going to get there in just a second. Bear with me. You see, for those of you that don't know, our congregation has been reading through the New Testament. Um, Monday through Friday, beginning on the 1st of January, Monday through Friday, we have read a chapter of the New Testament every day. 260 chapters in the New Testament, 262 weekdays in a year, 261 or 262, depending on the year. And so it works out that we will be finished. Revelation 22 is the the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. We'll be finished on Monday. Today, what we read, uh, if you're reading along, Revelation 19. I read part of that just now. So that's why this passage, you you see, the thing is that I committed to read um, uh, and preach from one of the things we read the previous week each Sunday. And I thought I should carry it through for Christmas. 
and it's going to fit. Trust me, just give me a minute. How many of you have already had your Christmas Eve celebration with family? Have you done that? Some of you may not be having that. Uh, uh, Nancy and I, we had our Christmas dinner in the conference room. It was takeout Chinese. <laughs> um, actually, the whole staff did. That, uh, that's, uh, it's one of the few restaurants that's opened on Christmas Eve. Um, so, uh, but some of you have gathered together with family, and, and you've had that chance to, uh, to, to interact. And, and what I know, at least it's been my experience, um, whenever family gets together, and I don't think it's just my family, I think there's something universal about this. Whenever family gets together, um, at some point all the women are together chatting, and um, now this isn't, this isn't a sexist thing. I think this is just a thing. When the women get together, the ones of them that are mothers are going to talk about giving birth. Yes? No, mine's not the only family. Come on, I'm right about this, aren't I? Okay, scratch that off for the next service. Seriously, that's a thing. Women get together and, and they talk about giving birth. And for those of you that are young men in the crowd, here's a hint. It's at this point that you shut up and back away. You got nothing to add. I've been at the birth of my three children and I know who the stronger gender is. There's just no doubt in my mind as I've watched that happen. But there's something about that, that miracle of birth, that beauty of birth. And, and, and you don't just talk about the birth, but you got to continue the conversation to talk about the child, right? And, and, the, and the difference that child has made in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, the child has, has changed your life, right? And that's part of that conversation. We talk about our kids and we talk about what they've done to us and, and that they've done for us. Stories of childbirth are intriguing, and, and stories of our children are, are intriguing and, and, and worth retelling. There's something about celebrating birth that causes us to evaluate our lives, reevaluate our lives. I have met people that I would not trust with my neighbor's dogs, but when they give birth, suddenly they're changed. They become responsible adults. Not all of them, but a great many of them. Maybe there's some of you in this room that it made a difference for you. I really think that, that God decided that, that, that God would come to earth first as a baby because that changes us. That makes a difference for us. Before we're capable of recognizing that someday we might have uh, something that resembles a mature faith, God captures our imagination with a child. He's vulnerable. He needs our nurturing and constant care. And this isn't just a, a metaphor for our faith life. This is, this is God's plan to draw you into a loving relationship with him. God chooses to enter into our world as an infant rather than a full-grown adult or an eight-foot-tall, gigantic Greek god, God chooses to enter in as a baby. God doesn't choose to intimidate us. I mean, babies aren't that intimidating at first. I've met a few toddlers that would make a seasoned mother cringe. But in general, 
God tried so many different ways to get through to us. From the beginning, when God created everything, God gave us nature, the beauty of nature, and oh, how wonderful it was, and we still bit the apple. God gave us Ten Commandments, and we still lie, cheat, and steal. Honor thy mother and father? Forget about it. Give them prophets, and we stone them. Give, give them a, a religious system and we twist it. Give them a doctrine and they ignore it. Give them freedom and they abuse it. Give them a baby. And we're intrigued. We're drawn to that cradle manger. Counting ten fingers and ten toes and wanting to hold them close. In the first service, my grandchildren, three of them were here, and I was holding my grandson. He's, he's just three months old, and I was thinking about this. Just that, that desire to hold them close, to protect them. God gives us a relationship that is soothing to us, as soothing as a baby asleep in our arms. And in this story of God entering into the world with us, there's a manger. And, and you know, you know I, I've, I've found that we, we often get this manger thing confused. Um, I've, I've heard children say, and even adults say, Jesus was born in a manger. He was not. He was born in a stable, basically, a room set aside for barnyard animals, and laid in a manger. And, and, the, and the manger is a, is a feed trough. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. You see, because throughout the Bible, there's weavings of stories and weavings of, of things and issues and, and recurring circumstances that are throughout the Bible, including the book of Revelation. And, and if you didn't, if you were here on Sunday, you, you saw how, how the book of Revelation speaks to it. Well, the sermon was called A Mother, a Child, and a Dragon. There's a Christmas dragon. Listen to it online for those of you that want to know what that's about. But there are these stories that weave through. Within the collection of all of it. And, and, it, and it's, it, it really, the Bible is really one story from, from Genesis to Revelation. From cover to cover, it's one story. We, unfortunately, we talk about our Bible and we, we say there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And, and that's unfortunate because we think it's two different stories. And, and, if, and, if, and if we're scholarly, we say there's a Hebrew Testament and, and there's a Christian Testament. And that's unfortunate, too, because it still has that, that divide in it. What if we called it episode one and episode two so that we know it's the same story carrying through? It's the same story of God seeking to enter into the, our lives and our rebellion against it. And at least in this story, the rebels are not a good thing. Anyway, there are these threads that weave all the way through and one of those threads is that of lamb or lambs. 
It's, it's, it's from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, lambs show up in the story in several different places. The first place a lamb shows up is when Abraham, um, this is Genesis 21, the 20, 21st chapter in the whole first of the Bible, in the first book. Abraham says, that I, I dug that well, and, and he says, as a witness to me digging it, here are seven lambs. And people are like, what are you talking about? How are lambs going to witness to this? And he slaughters the lamb because it's like saying, put your money where your mouth is. The lamb has worth. It has value in that day. And so you're meant to recognize in that story that, 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 that um, the lamb is a witness because I'm willing to put my money on it. It's valuable. Later on in the book of Exodus, the next book of the Bible, I'm not going to go through all 66, I promise, but the next book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, there's, there's the lamb, the Passover lamb, and, and the story goes like this, and I'll be extremely brief, but the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt, and God sends Moses to talk to Pharaoh and say, let God's people go, and Pharaoh says, No. And so there's a plague. And Pharaoh says, go away. And he says, no, I changed my mind. And there's another plague. And he says, go away. And he says, no, I changed my mind. Plague after plague. And, and, and he releases them and then re, re, recants his release. And finally, until the last one, the last plague, the plague of the angel of death. Now what's going to happen is God is going to send the angel of death into Egypt to kill the firstborn of every family. Unless you have sacrificed a lamb and taken the blood of the lamb and painted it on the doorpost, the lintel, and the other post, and in seeing that blood of the sacrificed lamb, the angel of death will pass over your house. The Passover lamb. Later on, lamb shows up in a story from the book of Isaiah. And, and Isaiah has um, uh, several chapters in it uh, that surround, uh, Isaiah 53 is one of those. I'm going to read from that in a second. Um, but, but in Isaiah 53, it's talking about what's called the suffering servant. We know that Jesus is God's son in part because it's prophesied through this suffering servant. Jesus is the suffering servant that's prophesied hundreds of years before. And in one of those passages, it says, uh, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and tormented, but didn't open his mouth like a lamb being brought to slaughter. It reminds us of the way that, that Christ went to the cross without argument, without fight. And then we turn to the New Testament, episode two. And we have the Christ child laid in a manger. And, and, and I'll remind you that what's the manger for? It's a feed trough. Any of you do FFA as a child? Future Farmers of America? A few of you? Do you have sheep? No sheep? So, so like my, my uh, son-in-law and his uh, siblings all did sheep as part of their FFA projects. Um, so th there's this cool connection between the manger where the sheep would feed and the lamb laid in it who gives life, sustenance, provision. And we're meant to see these, these weavings throughout. 
And then in the book of John, in the first chapter, John the Baptist applies the moniker to Jesus. The next day, it says, John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. As I read in the book of Revelation, the, the invitation to the, the wedding banquet, the invitation to the wedding with the Lamb, Jesus is the Lamb. The child born on Christmas morning is the Lamb of God. And that Lamb appears in the book of Revelation in several places as we read about the promised culmination of God, what God is seeking to do in the world. It's woven throughout the scripture. And in the end, there's going to be a heavenly marriage of those who have accepted Christ. Don't make this weird. It's a metaphor for the, the perfect union that will exist between us and God. And there's an invitation to a banquet. Here, here's another fun uh, insight. that it, it, it comes from the book of John, but also the revelation of John. In, in the book of John, the second chapter, Jesus performs his first miracle. Where is it? Cana. And what is it? Water to wine, right? Now, we always talk about, we say that, that, that it was at the, the wedding in Cana that Jesus changed water into wine. It was not. It was at the wedding reception. The Lamb has invited us to a wedding reception, a banquet. It's going to be barbecue. Not take out Chinese. Just saying. At least my portion. I've done about 250 weddings, and uh, I'm pretty sure the best part of it is the reception. There's a reception, a banquet that you're invited to. Here's what I know about a Christmas Eve crowd. There are some of you here that are skeptics about Christianity. You're probably here just to keep peace in the family. But your skepticism is fair. Christians have earned it. And here's, here's how we've come to earn it. And, and, it's, and it's just human nature. Actually, you're not skeptical about Jesus Christ. Trust me on that. You don't disagree with him. You disagree with the way that humanity has taken the message of Jesus and used it. And here's how it happens. It's, it's just this natural, natural human progression. It goes like this. There's a wedding banquet, and you're invited. I'm not arguing with that. that you are invited. Absolutely. Now, I take that personally. I say, oh, I'm invited. How would I get an invitation? And I begin to create a religious construct that says, this is how I get invited. And then I take the next step and I say, who else is invited? And I have to have a religious construct to understand which of you are invited. And of course, if some of you are invited, there must be somebody that's not invited, right? How many of you have worried over your list of who you're going to invite and who you're not to the reception? I mean, you know, it's just a human nature to say there must be somebody that's not invited. 
And then we create a whole religious landscape that has fences and barriers to keep those out that aren't invited in our mind. Because we figure that, that if there's some that are invited, there must be some that aren't, and we're going to stand in the place of God and uninvite. And, and some of you have, have experienced the exclusion and the persecution and the shame or condemnation. And on behalf of the whole of Christianity, if I can speak for it, if you'll allow me to speak for the flaws of humanity, let me sincerely say, we're sorry. And follow up with what you need to know. The Lamb of God, the child born on Christmas morning, has invited you to a banquet. Hear that invitation. We're going to conclude our reading of Revelation in just a few days on Monday. Remember I said there are threads throughout in Genesis 1, we read, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation 21, which we'll read on Friday, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth have passed away. Through this thread that begins in the beginning, the first words of our Bible, and carries through to the new creation we find that God is always in the business of creating and recreating, of taking what we foul up and making it new again, of taking all that we've messed up in our lives, of taking all the things that we have done to ourselves and the things that we have done to others and the things that we have done to, that have been done to us and redeeming those things for his purposes. And when we are redeemed for his purpose, we hear the invitation from the Lamb and all who truly seek to be his followers. Revelation twenty two seventeen. the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let everyone who hears say, Come, and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. So come. The invitation is there from the Lamb himself the child born on Christmas morn. Amen and amen.